Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. We have this kind of confidence toward God through Christ. It is not that we are confident in ourselves to consider anything that's coming from ourselves, but our confidence is from God. He has made us confident to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit produces life. Now if the ministry of death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to look directly at Moses' face because of the glory from his face, a fading glory, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what has had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was fading away was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were closed. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted, because it is set aside only in Christ. Even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is the Lord who is the Spirit. Second Corinthians 3, 4-18 I'd like to begin with a question here, some questions. When was last time you experienced really, really good self-esteem? Like... Self-worth was dialed in at 10 out of 10. When was the last time you had, you know, in a healthy and appropriate way, just really good confidence and confidence? Like, like you could just wake up and, and uh, as the kids would say, slay the day, you know. Why was that? Where did your source of self-worth come from? There are many things that that make us feel delight, many things that make us feel valuable. We all have our own life, our own context, our own experiences. All of us come from somewhere. All of us do things, and perhaps we're known for some of the things that we do. We have our activities, our career, our skills, our degrees. We're parents, we're grandparents, we're students, we're coaches, and so on and so on. The things that we do can lead into a description of who we are. What we do can lead into a description of who we are. Teachers teach, preachers preach, students study, joggers jog, bakers bake. <laughs> okay, you guys get the point. Okay, all the things that, that, that we do can really start to sketch out a portrait of who we are. And then this portraiture that is based on what we do, that can become very swaddling. 
then what happens is our identity gets wrapped up around our activity, around our performance. And, and then even as, as this goes on, the, the dominant narrative in our head can sound something like this. Hey, if I fail, if I flop, if I flounder, I'll be less wanted. People will stop caring about me. I'm a loser. I'm a klutz. As biblical Christians here, we, we believe God is the one who defines us. God is the one who gives us worth and value. And when we let the teaching of Imago Day, we talked about this last week, Imago Day, being made in the image of God. When we let Imago Day confront all of the things that we do, it actually can create a crisis of identity because it challenges all of the lies that what we do defines who we are. So I want us to consider the doctrine of Imago Day a little bit here this morning to get us started. All, all humans are made in God's image. And again, we, we talked about this last week if you were here. Image. Sometimes it's translated as, as idol, statue. It's a, it's, it's a representation. God doesn't want us to make graven images because we're already the images of God. When we first meet humans in the Bible, we learn two fundamental things about them. Two things that are linked so close next to each other. We find out that God makes humans, male and female, he created them in God's image. And these humans are going to represent God in the world, exercising dominion within creation. Let's check it out here. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God said, let us make mankind, humanity, Adam. Let us make the Adam in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then God gives us a poem. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In short, God has a plan. God has a purpose. And being made in the image of God gives us this unique ability to do what God governs us to do. We are image bearers of God. The Greek language uh, uses the word icon, or yeah, the, the Hebrew language uses the word, sorry, no, I was right. The Greek word uses icon, which sounds like the English word icon to represent image, image. Icon is like a mirror-like resemblance, okay? If someone is an icon or something is iconic, it usually means there is importance. It, it represents the best of something. Um, it encapsulates ideas, context, emotions, icon. If we say something is iconic, it's well known. We, we kind of get the message that's being portrayed. Humanity was God's idea, and God makes us icons. Now, sociology and the fields of psychology, anthropology, neuroscience, and so on, absolutely, these fields have done some amazing good work, but it's the Christian biblical doctrine of Imago Dei that really helps us understand relationality and communion and personhood, the sanctity of life, 
love, vocation, and so on. Now, as humans, we get to Genesis 3. Sin is also a part of this equation. Sin makes this ruling representation project that God gave us. Sin makes it really difficult. And as icons, it's almost as if we are like cracked mirrors. Last week, I used the expression that sin's smudgy fingerprints are all over the image. And these smudges get in the way. We hurt ourselves. We hurt each other. But the good news is we have Jesus. We all image God, but as Paul says in Colossians 1, Jesus is the true image of God. Jesus is the true human. He is the visible image of the invisible God. And so Jesus steps into our smudginess. Jesus is the judge of the smudge. The smudges of old creation have been dealt with on the cross. And what matters now is new creation. This new life that we find in Jesus through the activity of the Holy Spirit. So when we come to Jesus, we're given a new identity. Or rather, more properly, our identity is being restored. Jesus, in his humanity, shows us how to mirror God. Jesus shows us how to reflect God. Jesus restores us as icons. He looks at those cracks and he says, I'm going to do something about this. In the letter that we call 2 Corinthians... Paul uses this metaphor of a veil. He doesn't pull it out of nowhere. He, he, he knows his Bible. He's pulling it from Exodus 34. We have to know a little bit of a, of a Moses story here to understand what Paul is, is talking about and alluding to. When Moses received the law, it was a glorious experience, and Moses' face was radiating from that experience. It made his face glow. His face was glowing, like, so much that it frightened other people. It was overwhelming. Moses, you're, like, your face is too much right now. And so Moses, he, he had to wear a veil over his face. And eventually, the, the glory faded. And so we just, let's pause and think about this for a moment. Engaging in the glory and presence of God, it's transformative. It can make us glow. So Paul, he's, he's thinking about this. God gave his people, a long, long time ago, God gave his people a prescribed way of living. Like in the ancient world, where everyone's trying to figure out morals and ethics and how to, how to do life and all that. God gives Israel a prescribed way of living. They have his insights on how to do healthy community, agricultural practices, worship practices, and so on. God gives Israel his prescribed way of living. And then Paul, as he's wrestling with this, he's like, okay, there's unbelievers. They go to this law. They, they go to this old covenant. But it's like they have a veil over their eyes. They're actually the opposite of Moses. They aren't shrouding glory. They're shrouded from glory. But then Paul, he takes it a little bit further here. We have the new covenant that's ratified by Jesus. The new covenant is not written in ink, but it's written on our hearts. 
by the Spirit of the living God. And so before we know Jesus personally, it's kind of like having a bag over our heads. We're all veiled up, okay? But when we come to Jesus, God removes the bag. God removes the veil. And we're able to realize that God is a living, loving, personal presence. A relationship that we can get to know. God is, is, a, is a person. And this is, this is good news because we're, we're actually able to, to learn about and get to know this image that we're made in. It's like, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're all made in God's image. Okay, that's great. But now it's like, oh, I actually get to know what I'm reflecting here. The veil is taken away and we're able to fall in love with God. We're able to see Jesus. We're able to see Jesus who is the true image, the true icon of God. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 3, Paul's like, okay, even if our good news is veiled, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. All right, let's just slow down a second here. You see, the gospel is an open invitation. The gospel is always an invite, inviting you to believe. Believe or don't believe, there's no third option. And so when we share the good news that that. In Christ, God defeated death and evil, and, and now God is restoring humans. God is just reconciling the smudged-up world through what Jesus did on the work of the cross. You know, this is, there's good news. God is remaking things. Resurrection is, is proof of that. The, the method and the manner might change, but the message stays the same. And Paul's like, when you share the gospel, whether it's a little bit or a lot of it, any rejection of that gospel is due to the state of the individual. Now, I don't think Paul is saying, go be obnoxious and, and, and all. It's like, no, like, when you, when you truly present good news in a real way, if, if that person doesn't receive it, they're just not receiving it yet. A spiritually dead person is perishing. That's how Paul frames this up. They can't see the glorious image of Christ. And then there's another factor for, for unbelievers who are all veiled up. Paul says that lowercase g, God of this age, is, is blinding them. And I, I think this is a reference to, to Satan. Satan has been defeated. The enemy has been defeated. But still, trying to blind the minds of unbelievers. They're having a hard time seeing the light. Paul continues, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, we, we preach Jesus. We're preaching Jesus. All right? Our, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We preach Jesus. We're here to serve you. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Okay, that's a lot let me just read it again. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. He made his light shine 
in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory that's displayed in the face of Christ. It is the restorative activity of God who awakens hearts, who who restores our identity, reminds us of who we are, makes those dark hearts come bright. And again, think think of this through the lens of identity here. The Spirit comes into our life and transforms us into the image of Jesus. This iconic, glorious one. We, we are being made new into the image of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit awakens us. Awakens us. Hey, there's a new way to be human. It's found in the life of Jesus. That's what the Spirit is up to. And then 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, is a principal verse for us today. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As believers, all of us Christians, we don't have a veil. Our faces are unveiled. There is no bag over our head. And we're being transformed to reflect the glory of the Lord in all areas of life. Isn't that amazing? And it's not out of religion, like, oh, here's all this religious stuff that I have to do that, you know, someday I'll I'll be able to, you know, shine bright for Jesus. No, it's, it's a personal relationship. The more we press into Father, the more we lean into Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the more we press into God, the more that we go face-to-face with God, we'll be changed. We'll be different because that's what intimacy does. God enters our lives and we're transformed. We're restored into his icon, his image, his reflection. Now, if you have a me-centered gospel, a me-centered worldview and philosophy, well, you're still changing as a person. But you're not transforming into the image of Jesus. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it here this morning. Transformation is messy. Perhaps that was something I didn't hear enough growing up in the church. Is that growing into the image of Jesus, it's it's messy. It's an invitation, but it comes with a challenge. I got scales on my eyes, and those scales need to come off. I have wounds that need to be healed. I'll have frustrations and doubt. I'll learn more things about myself that perhaps I didn't want to learn. But now I have to deal with it. But it's when we pick up our cross, when we embrace this wild, amazing process of transformation, the more that we gaze into the truth of Jesus and the good news of his kingdom, we start to mimic Jesus and all of his gloriousness. One of my favorite little quirks about being married is that when Jess and I mimic each other, we like respond the same. We'll do like the same, like, mmm. <laughs> like, we, we just, we have these little, these little things and it's like, oh wow, like, 
We're kind of becoming the same person. But that's a, that's a beautiful thing. That's what intimacy does. As we, as we go closer and closer to Jesus, we become like Jesus. And so know that God is the one who defines you. Let's kind of take a step back, back to this like identity conversation. Know that God defines you. You're a human. You're an earthling. You're made to reflect a good God. You don't start in Genesis 3. You start in Genesis 1 and 2. Like You are made to reflect a good God. You represent God. You're made for community. You're made for mission. You have a purpose. In Christ, there's more good news. Through the work of the Spirit, you are actually being turned into a different person. You are a transformer. You are being transformed into the glorious image of Jesus. This is true of you. This is true of you. And if this is true of you, then what's untrue is the pressure for you to define your own worth, value, and image. You see, sometimes we have a tendency of flipping things around. And it might sound a little bit like this. Okay, if I do good, then people will want me. If I do X, Y, Z, then I'll be X, Y, Z. I'm from a family of six, youngest of four. And I believe there were moments where in order to receive extra attention, extra love, you had to do good. You had to do good. And I I won't unpack it here. And I'm not throwing my parents under the bus, bus whatsoever. But I think the fear of disappointing my parents, the fear of being an inconvenience to my parents, that drove me to be a type of perfectionist. But I want you to see the, the messed up framework here. If I do, then I'll be. If I do good, then you'll want me. If I stay out of your way, then I'm not causing you trouble. I'm, I can just, I'll be over here. And I have and still do wrestle with this inner world within myself where I'm really hard on myself. My wife, Friends, they tell me that many times. They're like, bro, you're being, you're being hard on yourself. Sometimes Jess just calls me like, you're being dumb. <laughs> she says that with love. You know, it's like, you're, you're being so hard on yourself. Like, what in the world? What in the world? I am a recovering perfectionist. And perfectionism, the way that I'm using it here today, by the way, it's the lie that you're never enough. We cannot build our identity around the things that we do. And even in my current context here, in congregational ministry, there's a lot of hats that I wear. I'm Cam the pastor, Cam the preacher, Cam the administrator, Cam the discipler, Cam the PMC beyond guy, Cam who plays guitar, 
helps out with worship. Cam, who does denominational work. Cam, the doctoral student, and so on and so on. In fact, some of you don't even call me by my name. You call me by my title. Now, that's, that's a side conversation. I know that's out of respect, and it's a cultural thing to call me pastor. And you can still call me pastor, but I just want to point that out. I'm being defined by a title, by what I do. When we wrap our identity around what we do, that can crush us. We know, like, there's no way, like, we can ever live up to the Old Old Testament law. We know that. But then we turn around, and then we make our own rules. We're, We're little legislators in our head. We make up our own little box to fit in, our own demands. And you know what? It becomes a treadmill life style. A treadmill lifestyle, always performing, always doing, always achieving, always seeking progress, always seeking perfection. And it's dangerous because we're giving power to things to transform us into something that doesn't look like Jesus. It can get really dangerous because we get so veiled up in what we do. A blanket, and and another blanket, and another blanket, another veil, another veil. We get so veiled up that if something threatens that veil, we can get defensive. And so it's almost like, you know, we're made to, like, image God, but instead we, we take selfies. We image ourselves, we image something else. It is a big, fat lie that what we do defines who we are. We're image bearers of God. We're transforming into the image of Jesus. God has already defined you. He loves you. You're made to be a ruler. Now, once you have your identity established, then out of who you are, yeah, go do. Go do good works. You are a craftsman. You are God's craftsmanship, his workmanship. Go do the great things that he has for you. Go soak the world with the glory of God. Once you have your identity established, then you're free to receive feedback and constructive criticism and questions without it rocking your core. Once you have your identity established, you're free from being a people pleaser. So what can we do? What are some of the takeaways? Well, know that God defines you. I've probably said this about seven times now. Know that God defines you. You're a human being, not a human doing. You have dignity. You have intrinsic value. You have worth. You have esteem. Your life is precious. And so is your neighbor's. Remember the reconciliation work of the cross and resurrection. Jesus' work is sufficient. Jesus is restoring the smudges in our life. Remember the power of the gospel. The gospel frees you. It is freeing you and will someday free you forever. Jesus is fixing the mirror. Follow Jesus. Learn from him. 
And he's going to show you how to be this glory-producing human on this planet. Go image Jesus. Go image God in this world. You get to be an icon of God today and forevermore. I'll just say it. Don't, don't wait until heaven before you start to reflect Jesus. You can do it today. You can grow into the image of Jesus. Start being aware of this untruth, this lie, that doing things equals who we are. It's a soft lie. What do I mean by soft lie? Soft lies are the lies, the quiet lies that slink around in our our heart, and they often go unnoticed. Soft lies feed up to the louder lies, okay? Soft lies feed into the other lies about who you are, and then you start to listen to those voices, and next thing you know, you do, 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 do. You do all these things so that you feel good about yourself. Meanwhile, that little untruth down there, that what we do equals who we are. That's, that goes around unnoticed. Start, start to be aware of these things. When you react, when, when you respond to things, why is that? Where is it coming from? Why did you react the way you did? Why, why do you feel bad? Why do you feel good? Which leads us to you know, start filtering your tasks through your identity. Perhaps don't ask things like, am I supposed to do this or do I have to do this? But say, say this, out of who I am, as a new creation, as a Jesus person, out of who I am, I get to do this. God's not like, hey, if you do a good job, I'll give you 30 minutes of unveiled time. You know, you can get some glory. It's like, no, the, the veil has been removed. We can engage with, the, with God's glory. We can represent him. We, we can speak his truth. We, we can walk in freedom. We can be spirit people. Out of our identity in Christ, we get to be his reflection. Go reflect God's glory. Another one is, is uh, baptism. Remember your baptism. Baptism is the outward expression of turning from the old life into the life of Christ. Baptism is an identity statement. We're being immersed in the name, identity, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, So baptism is this big identity ceremony, but it's also for the community. It's saying, hey, I am demonstrating this, I am, I'm going into the waters to demonstrate I belong to this covenant community. We are baptized in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let me just do a quick throwback from last week. God is our Father, and so that means we're, we're children. Our sense of family is being restored. Jesus is our example of humanity. Humans belong to God and represent God. And a good word that we can kind of put a lot of things is things in that is the word servant. Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus is our example, the one we follow. 
we follow his example of serving others. And then there's the Spirit. The Spirit is poured out into our hearts as love, Romans 5, 5. The Spirit is an active, sending Spirit. The Spirit sends us out in the name of the Father and the Son. We are sent out into the life of this world that makes us missionaries, putting that all together. We're baptized into this community, this, this communal identity. We are a family of Spirit-filled missionary servants. I also want you to start noticing how you think about yourself and others. Do you think of yourself less, not, not in like a humble way, but where you like tear yourself down? Do you think of others as being less, lesser? Do you draw boundaries around people? Do you slap labels on them? Or how about this? Do you hang your past sins over your head? Or the past sins of others over your head? Notice. Notice that. And the last thing I'll, I'll give you, I know this is like throwing spaghetti here. We could talk a lot about this. It is an ongoing conversation. But lastly here this morning, know that you are a transformer. By Jesus' grace, he removes the veil. You don't earn this. Jesus has qualified you to be in the presence of God. To have access to the Spirit. To ask God for illumination and inspiration and counsel and wisdom understanding the fruits of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts. We, we have access to this. You are qualified to behold Jesus and learn from him. So what does that mean? Yeah, you, you get to unlearn things from your past, your childhood, past mistakes, past church experiences. You get to unlearn things and, and relearn new things. You, you get to take off the old and put on Jesus every day. You get to be a new human. You get to be transformed. So dear Plymouth Meeting Church, dear transformative image bearers, know every day that in Christ, God, God, God looks at you and he says, you're my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. God wants you to know that identity. And then again, out of that identity, God says, go get him, kid. 